the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. One of millions of boys on the planet, one of thousands in Israel, one of dozens in Nazareth, he was indistinguishable from a person down the street or a child in the next chair. Had you seen him as a youngster, you wouldn't have thought he was the son of God. You might have thought him polite or courteous or diligent, but God on earth? Not a chance. He was just a boy, one of hundreds. Welcome to The Barnabas Effect with Paul Purvis, Senior Pastor of Mission Hill Church, a multicultural, multi-generational, multiplying church focused on shining the light and love of Jesus like a city on a hill. You're invited to visit any of the three locations in Temple Terrace and Tampa. For information and locations, visit missionhill.org. That's missionhill.org. Now, with today's message, here's Pastor Paul Purvis. So that's kind of where the conversation went in verse 27. Do not work for the food that perishes, but the food that endures for eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. And then they said to him, okay, so what must we do to be doing the works of God? And Jesus answered and said, this is the work of God, that you believe in him who he has sent. In other words, it's not what you do. It's what you believe. We want to be doing the right things. We, we, want, to, we want to think, man, if I, if I just follow this list of rules, or if I come to church enough, or if I give, or if I pray this way, or if I dress a certain way, or if I read this translation of the Bible, then maybe what I do will be enough. And then maybe I'll get more bread. Maybe then he'll meet my needs because he'll see what I'm doing. And if you think the secret is in what you're doing, then that kind of makes sense. But what Jesus was saying is so much more simple than that. See, as we read through the New Testament, we see that people around Jesus always tried to complicate that which was simple. And yet Jesus, he came to simplify that which is complicated. I know you can't understand that there's a God in heaven and that he wants a personal relationship with you. But I'm telling you, all you've got to do is believe, Jesus would say. You think they got it? Well, let's keep reading. So they said to him, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe? Wait, what? I mean, we don't know if they had seen him walking on water or not, but what we know is they knew about the miracle on the mountain. They knew about the bread. And they wanted more signs. I mean, really? You, if you give me one more sign, then I'm going to believe. You, you see, you think it, if you think it's about what you do, it's never going to be enough. If you think it's what he can do for you, it's never going to be enough. And some of you, you've taken this story from the Old Testament, a story that's descriptive, was never intended to be prescriptive, the story of Gideon, and where Gideon talks about putting out a fleece. And so this is what you've done. I'm going to put out a fleece for God. 
That's Gideon's story. It wasn't intended to be a prescription for how you live. As we read the scriptures, usually if someone says, God, show me a sign. If you show me a sign, then I'll do what you want me to do. That's a lack of faith, not a sign of faith. And so you're not faithful in your financial stewardship. And you say, oh, God, if you just, if you just help me pay this bill, then I'm going to start being faithful to you. Or are you not faithful as a witness for Christ? And you say, oh, God, if, if, you know, if, if you just do this over here, then I'll tell others about you. Are you not faithful even in just attending or, or being a regular part or being involved? And you say, oh, God, if I can just get this straightened out or get my kids through this situation, then I'm going to be faithful. And it's never enough because that's like trying to eat more and more and more bread. It's never, ever, ever going to be enough. If you come to Jesus because of what he can do for you, you'll always want him to do more. But if you come to Jesus for who he is, you'll always understand that he's enough. That was good, so I'm going to say it again. If you come to Jesus because of what he can do for you, you're always going to want him to do more. But if you come to Jesus just because of who he is, He will always be enough. So what did they do now? I mean, Jesus had kind of put it right there before them. What did they do? They did what some of you do. They played the comparison game. Have you ever done that? I don't know. I mean, I don't think they go to church like I do. They're not faithful. I mean, they probably don't give. And look at them. They're driving a new car. I can't even get mine out of the shop. Kind of, that's what they did. Well, Jesus, remember our forefathers in the wilderness? They had manna. Why don't you just give us an endless supply of bread, fish? They had manna. I mean, you remember that story, right? Manna, God provided for them. They were grateful. It got kind of old. They had to be creative. I mean, they would have banana pudding and banana bread. I mean, some nights they would have manicotti maybe. I mean, so... And so Jesus had to respond to this and say, it's it's not about your comparison. Don't get idolatrous over what you have. Do you understand that? When we make it about the bread, that's become an idol in our life. That's become more important to us than the one who's given us everything we have. And I would remind you, there's nothing that you have that he didn't give you for one purpose. And that is to bring him glory. So what did Jesus say? Look at verse 32. Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave them the bread from heaven. But my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. So now they're like the woman at the well. Remember when Jesus was talking to the woman at the well? And he said, I know you, honey, you're thirsty, but... If you would just drink the living water, then you would never thirst again. And she's like, oh, yeah, give me some of that living water. And he says, go get your husband. And then that's when things kind of got crazy, right? Well, here the same way. He says, if you just had this bread, you would never be hungry. And so now they're eager. Okay, yeah, we want some of that bread. Give us this bread. What did Jesus say? Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I've said to you, you've seen me. And yet you do not believe. 
What's the message of John 6? Simple. All you need is Jesus. Just Jesus. Jesus didn't say, I am the giver of bread. I'm the maker of bread. He just said, I'm the bread. We have a big problem and a big misunderstanding when it comes to how we want God for more of what we get rather than simply for more of who he is. We want the gifts more than the giver. When I travel, whether it's an international mission trip or a convention, a conference, speaking engagement, it's not unusual that when I come home, I bring a gift. Now, I have to tell you, sometime through the years, it was kind of a last-minute addition. Sorry, kids, but it might have been the, the airport gift shop, if you know what I mean, right? But you know what I don't want when I get home? I don't want my kiddos running up to me and go, where's our gift? I want them running up to me and just loving on the giver. I don't want them to want the gift more than they love the giver. And yet that's what some of us do when it comes to wanting more bread. We're so focused on what we think we need and what we want from God that we're not giving him our all. I need you to understand that the way to God is not a path. It's not a program. It's not a plan. The way to God is a person. It's it's Jesus. It's just Jesus. So don't spend your life pursuing more bread, more stuff. Spend your life running after Jesus. And when you run after Jesus, everything else will begin to fall into place. When Jesus begins to be your pursuit your life will begin to look more and more like him. And remember what happens when your life begins to look like him. When we look and we live like Jesus, ordinary people like us, we turn everyday conversations into gospel conversations because we're always pointing back to him. When someone looks at you and they talk about, talk about how things are going in your life, what if you just got in the habit of saying, it's just Jesus. <laughs> Anything good in me is Jesus. And people see that you've been blessed if you have, and you've got things that others don't have. Man, be quick to point back to Jesus. Because the Bible says anything that you have that is good came down from the giver. Don't get focused on the bread. Focus on the bread. And the reason this is so important is because these problems come into our life and people need to know there's hope. They need to know that when the bread runs out, there's one who gives them everything they need. They need to know that when the doctor calls and gives them the bad report, that that's not the end of their story. And they need to know that whatever happens on this side of heaven pales in comparison of the fact that nothing can separate us from the love of God. We live in a world that's filled with bad news. But that gives you an opportunity to point people to Jesus. Just like the little card that you had there in your seat. It's called the best news. So let me just tell you what you can do next time you're having a conversation. An easy way to turn it into a gospel opportunity. You ask somebody how they're doing. 
And I don't know about you, but most people, when I ask how they're doing, they don't say, great. <laughs> they usually say, okay. Often somebody says something like this, I'm doing all right under the circumstances. <laughs> they share some bad news. And when you're dealing with people's brokenness and their bad news, it gives you an opportunity just to say, do you know that's not the only bad news we have in life? In fact, I read the Bible, I read Scripture, and Scripture is full of bad news. And one of the things that the Bible says that's bad news, it says that we're all sinners. We're all sinners and that sin separates us from God. And I can reference a verse like Romans 3.23 that says all have sinned. I can reference Romans 6.23 that says the payment, what you earn for your sin, is death. And that sin keeps us from God's best. It keeps us from his ideal. So you think you got some bad news? That's bad news, but that's not the worst news. <laughs> there's worse news. The worst news is, is that there's nothing we can do to take care of our sin problem. Hi, I'm Paul Purvis, the lead pastor of Mission Hill Church right here in Tampa Bay. Thanks for taking the time to listen to today's The Barnabas Effect. It's a ministry intended to encourage, equip, and empower you. You may not know this, but this ministry is made possible because of the generosity of listeners like you. We are able to be on the air because listeners like you are gracious and give to this ministry. Would you consider making a gift today? It would be our honor to send you a gift, a resource, as a result of your gift of any size. And you can make that gift by going to missionhill.org and clicking on the banner that says The Barnabas Effect. That will direct you to a simple way that you can give right there online. Thanks again for listening to The Barnabas Effect today. And now we continue with our message. There's worse news. The worst news is, is that there's nothing we can do to take care of our sin problem. On our own, we're up a creek without a paddle. Because the Bible says it's by grace that you're saved through faith. It's a gift of God. It's not of anything you can do. It's not of your works. There's nothing you can do to get yourself out of this mess. That would be really bad news if that's where it ends. But though I told you the Bible has some bad news, it never stops with the bad news. There's some good news. And the good news is that Jesus did for us what we can't do for ourselves. Jesus paid that punishment for our sin. In fact, there's a verse, 1 John 1, 7 says, The blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. Friends, I want to tell you today that that's why I like to remind you, it doesn't matter if you've been Baptist or Catholic or Methodist or Episcopal or Presbyterian or Assembly of God or go to a nom denominational church wherever your name has been listed on a roll or whatever ritual you've gone through, whether it's church class or First Communion or Confirmation, whether you've been baptized, whether that means dipping or dunking, whatever that means, all of that could take place and you still be separated from God if you haven't understood that it's the blood of Jesus that cleanses you from your sin. That's the good news. But even that's not the best news. The best news is that God, as he forgives us, he gives us eternal life as a free gift. All we have to do is receive it. That same verse that said the payment, the wages of sin is death, say the gift of God is forever life. It's a gift, but you have to receive it. That's your ticket to heaven. When you get to heaven, 
If God were to say, why should I let you in? It's not going to be okay to say I was a member at Mission Hill Church. It's not going to be okay to say I was baptized. It's certainly not going to be okay to say my Uncle Bobby was a preacher. Or my Aunt Sally was a prayer warrior. No, what, what God is going to want to know is whether or not you've received his free gift. I was thinking just this morning as I walked over here, I walked past this new picture I have in my office, and it's this big panoramic view from Raymond James Stadium in the football game, the national championship, when the Clemson Tigers beat Alabama. And I was there. A lifetime Clemson Tiger fan, and I was there in the stadium. I had some great seats, but that's a whole other story. But when I got to the stadium, I, I knew that I was going to the game. But you know, when I went to walk in, I, I couldn't tell them, hey, I'm a, I'm a pastor. <laughs> I live a pretty good life. And by the way, I grew up in South Carolina, and the Tigers who are playing here in Tampa, I've been cheering for them since I was a little boy. None of that mattered. I couldn't tell them that I'd, I'd kind of gotten ready and I brought my youngest son with me and we were ready for a great day, just let us in. That didn't matter. I had to have a ticket. The only way I was going to get into that stadium was with a ticket. And the only way you get that free gift that God has prepared for you is when you receive by grace what He has planned for you. Well, Anytime I share something like that, I always say something like, does, does this make sense? Usually the person says yes. And, and if they say yes, I, I then might say, hey, can you think of any reason why you shouldn't accept that free gift that God has for you? And they usually say no. And then I'll say, well, can we just stop right now and pray? And ask God to give you that gift and let you receive it right now. And friend, I'm telling you that because I want you to know that you don't have to have a seminary degree. You don't have to even have been a Sunday school teacher. If you've been changed by the greatest news. If you've been changed by the best news. All you have to do is share that with someone else. And give them an opportunity to experience that same change. See, otherwise, the people you meet, the people I know, they're just going to spend their life craving for more bread, more stuff. But the answer is never going to be more. The answer is always going to be Jesus. Max Lucado put this into an interesting perspective when he wrote this. Consider how bread is made. Think about the process. Wheat grows in the field, then it's cut down, it's winnowed and ground into flour. It passes through the fire of the oven, and then it's distributed around the world. Only by this process does bread become bread. Each step is essential. If you eliminate the plant, you have no wheat. If you eliminate the winnowing, you have no flour. If you eliminate the fire, you have no product. Eliminate the distribution, and you have no satisfaction. Each step is essential. Now consider Jesus. He grew up, says Isaiah 53, 2, as a small plant before the Lord. 
one of millions of boys on the planet, one of thousands in Israel, one of dozens in Nazareth. He was indistinguishable from a person down the street or a child in the next chair. Had you seen him as a youngster, you wouldn't have thought he was the son of God. You might have thought him polite or courteous or diligent, but God on earth? Not a chance. He was just a boy, one of hundreds. He was seen like a staff of wheat in the wheat field. But like wheat, he was cut down. Like chaff, he was pounded and beaten. Isaiah 53, 5 says he was wounded for the wrong we did. And like bread, he passed through the fire of God's anger, not because of his sin, but because of ours. Isaiah 53, 6 declares the Lord has put on him the punishment for all the evil we have done. Jesus experienced each part of the process, making the bread, the growing, the pounding, the firing. And just as each is necessary for regular bread, so was each necessary for Christ to become the bread of life. And then he looks to us to be the distributors. But we're not doing a very good job. And I think I know our problem. It's my problem. I can't get over wanting more bread. I mean, just last Sunday, I went to Carabas. And I don't know what they put in that stuff, but they bring out that little loaf of bread covered up in the basket, and then they pour oil. I think it's just oil. And then they put some spices there, and they tell me to dip my hot bread in that oil with those spices. And good night, it's good. And I just found myself saying... I need some more bread. And then the other day I went to Cheesecake Factory. And at Cheesecake Factory they bring out those warm sourdough loaves. And a, a plate of butter. Not margarine. Not I can't believe it's not butter. They bring out butter. And I put it on the bread. And I just find myself wanting more bread. And then on a special occasion I'll go to the Red Lobster and at the Red Lobster, they bring out these biscuits. And they got cheese in them. And they're always hot. And they fit right in your mouth whole. And I eat those biscuits. And you know what I want? More biscuits. And so last Sunday on Mother's Day, by the time my steak got to my plate, I was filled up with bread. And I missed out on the best. Because I'd misunderstood the process. And that's where some of us are. I just want to remind you, Jesus didn't come primarily to give you more bread. He came to be the bread. But you've got to trust him. You've got to trust that he can do what you can't do. You've got to trust that he sees you when you don't see the way. And you've got to trust that he's enough. I want to give you a chance to do that right now. Would you bow your heads with me? Now we're in two categories in this room. There's some of you here that you know you've got a relationship with Christ. You know if, if life ended today, you would go to heaven. And that's great. Praise God. 
but you've still gotten kind of sideways on this issue, and you've not been living as if he is enough, that he's your bread, and you've not been telling others about the bread of life. And so my challenge for you is twofold. My challenge for you is to trust Jesus to be your everything. Some of you gotten kind of sideways looking at the circumstances of the world. You're focusing on the waves and the wind, and you forgot that Jesus is with you. You're looking at all the people, and <laughs> you've forgotten that the one who can turn loaves and fishes into an endless buffet is with you. And you just need to trust him. The second thing I want you to do is maybe to take that little card that I've given you, hold it in your hand, and just again pray what some of you prayed last week. God, give me a divine appointment. Help, help me tell somebody else about you this week. Help me be faithful, sharing the bread, the bread of life. You've been listening to The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis. The Barnabas Effect is here to provide listeners like you with biblical truth and spiritual encouragement. But it can't be done without your financial support. Go to missionhill.org and click on the Give tab. Your financial support helps us reach those seeking truth about God and themselves. Thank you for giving at missionhill.org. And join us weekdays at 9 a.m. for The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis on Faith Talk AM 570 and 910. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.